Hey, this is Mark with A Present Word, where scripture is shared with insightful and practical applications for you today. Luke chapter 5, verse 4. When Jesus had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your net for a catch. But Simon answered him and said, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come help them. And they came and filled both the boats. So they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw the catch, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. And he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will catch men. So when they brought their boats to the land, they forsook all and followed him. What's interesting is the Lord's response to Simon's sinful declaration, Depart from me, Lord. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. Well, Simon was afraid. He must have been thinking, what does all this mean? Why is this happening? What's going on? This isn't the way you fish. This doesn't just happen. Well, little did Peter, James, and John realize they were actually being called into the apostleship of the Lord Jesus. They would no longer be fishing fish, but fishing men. In the religious circle of Peter's day, Peter would not be considered a good catch as a disciple or a follower, certainly not an apostle of anybody. He was a rough and crude individual. He was a fisherman. What did the Lord see in Simon Peter that most did not see? Simon Peter himself did not see much value for the master, for he said, Depart from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man. He was fearful of what just happened on his boat. Nevertheless, Jesus saw in Peter a great apostle to the nations of the Jews. See, we don't choose what we're going to be for Jesus as it relates to the calling and function in his church, the body of Christ. He does the choosing. He does the selection. He distributes according to his good pleasure, not ours. In Acts chapter 9, verse 1, Saul, still bringing threats and murders against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound in chains to Jerusalem. Verse 10, Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to Ananias, Arise and go to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas, for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he's praying. And in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hands on him, that he might receive his sight. Verse 13, Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And there he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. Well, back in the day, just hearing the name Saul was very frightening to all the saints at that time. He was so focused on catching and sending to prison, those believing Jesus was the Messiah. Just the mention of his name sent fear through all the believers. Saul was so bad, Jesus himself had to intervene to stop him. You see that in verse 3. 
As Saul journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell on the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting. Now Ananias could have been thinking to himself, Well, if I were the Lord, I would look for another. Lord, you want me to go lay hands on this guy? You must not be aware of the of the things going on down here in Jerusalem and Damascus. We're at ground zero for persecution here. And you want me to go lay hands on the guy who's got authority to bind and chain and drag away our brothers and women back to prison in Jerusalem? Am I hearing you correctly? But God said to Ananias, go. And Ananias went his way, entered the house, laying his hands on him. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, we can tell that Ananias was a spirit-filled believer. He laid hands on Saul, and he received his sight and filled with the Holy Spirit as well. An interesting point is the Lord doesn't fully explain in the vision to Ananias why he's doing what he's doing. You know, the big picture, all the details of Paul's upcoming apostleship. He just says he's a chosen vessel. Now, Paul writes to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 9, For I think that God has displayed us, the apostles, last as men condemned to death, for we have been made a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we are dishonored. To this present hour, we both hunger and thirst. We are poorly clothed and beaten and homeless, and we labor working with our own hands. Being reviled, we bless. Being persecuted, we endure. Being defamed, we entreat. We have been made as the filth of the world, the offscouring of all things until now. After reading these verses, and a study of Paul's experience planting churches found in Acts and in his letters to the churches, why would anybody want to be an apostle? I mean, historically, it carries with it a death sentence. Well, if you do receive the call to be an apostle, you can be comforted by the words that Jesus said to Paul, my grace is sufficient. In your weakness, my strength is made perfect. Unfortunately, today, many but not all of the so-called apostles that we see appear to be the primarily power people in our churches, the influential, the big church people, the dominant personality types. This is certainly not what Paul was experiencing. I realize Paul was a church planner and was laying the foundation of the church, which was hard work. But I also believe if you're called as an apostle, you should experience and pass through some of the sufferings Paul was experiencing enlisted in 1 Corinthians 4. When I first read the chapter, God has displayed us, the apostles, last, I don't see Paul's apostolic outline matching up or fitting a lot of the apostles that we see functioning today. Well, maybe we need to look again at those claiming to be apostles. Maybe we've missed something. Maybe we're judging things by their appearance only. Are we discerning these individuals with our spiritual eyes of understanding? Or are we just taking them at face value? Well, if they call themselves an apostle, they must be one. Look, I'm not saying these power people cannot be authentic apostles. What I am saying is to take that title frivolously and place it in front of someone's name, 
that individual needs to be tested. Revelations 2.2, and you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not and have found them liars. There's no perfect Christian. The only perfect one is Christ. I'm not talking about perfection. However, a true apostle is one who must certainly live and walk in the Spirit and is only doing those things he sees the Father doing, Jesus being our example. Hebrews 3.1, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Jesus Christ. Yes, Jesus was an apostle. He's also our high priest. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's the great prophet. He's the great teacher. We could go on forever making the declarations about him and still not get them all covered. I don't presume to have the theological depth to accurately articulate the full office and function of apostle. Certainly not. However, what I am sharing in this message are some things that I have personally observed, learned, and experienced. Having lived in Christianity for many years, I have met, worked with, or viewed from a distance those calling themselves apostles. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 8, Paul speaking of Jesus. Then, last of all, he was seen by me also as one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles who am not worthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Those called to the office of apostle, like Peter, like Paul, like James, like John. See, our Lord requires authentic humility, not framed humility, giving off a false appearance of one's self to others. Paul writing in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 12, But what I do, I will also continue to do, that I may cut off the opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in the things of which they boast, for such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Verse 15, Therefore it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. Now if we look into Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, he himself, speaking of Jesus, gave some to be apostles. It doesn't say they decided to be apostles. See, he gave some. He chose. See, the Lord's making the decision. He's choosing who will be his apostles. In the Gospel of John chapter 15, verse 16, Jesus speaking, You did not choose me, but I chose you. And Paul writing in 1 Corinthians 12, 11, But one and the same Spirit works all things distributing to each one individually as he wills, not as we will or we choose. It's the Holy Spirit's prerogative. He does the choosing. It's his choice. Hebrews chapter 5 verse 4, And no man takes this honor to himself, but he who is called by God, just as Aaron was. The honor the writer of Hebrews is referring to was the priesthood. So you can't take it for yourself. It has to be given from above. While I believe Paul at times grieved over his past failures the way he had persecuted the church through his ignorance, 
And I think quite possibly he ran into family members of those who might have been martyred through his actions, chaining and dragging people to prison. He said, I have to forget those things which are behind me and I need to press on to the upward call in Jesus. That scripture should encourage all of us. When I look back over my walk, I wish it was a straight line, but unfortunately it looks more like a seismograph. And sometimes there's earthquakes that have happened in my past and have really shaken me. But you see, we have to forget those things which are behind us, our failures, our shortcomings, when we've stumbled, when we've lost faith, when we've been hurt, when we've been discouraged. Paul's writing in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 9, Timothy, be diligent to come to me quickly, for Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, and has departed for Thessalonica. Why did Demas depart? Possibly he was struggling seeing what Paul was going through, all the dealings you know, he listed in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, the great persecutions, the rejection, the imprisonment. We continue, Cretans to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia, only Luke is with me. Verse 16, at my first offense, no one stood with me, but all forsook me, may not be charged against them. All forsook Paul at different times in his life. Some didn't understand why God was allowing him to suffer, and they left. Others didn't want to suffer with him and departed. But thank God some stayed and kept the faith. Luke, Timothy, Titus, and many others. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. But I know this, in the last days perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. And from such people turn away. Now as Janus and Jambres resisted Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds, disapproved concerning the faith. Well, today, like in Moses' day with Janus and Jambres, they're not here, but we have those like them who are resisting, not Moses, but the authentic moving of God's Holy Spirit and his true apostolic leaders. Why are they resisting? I believe one reason can be found in Romans chapter 1, verse 18. Those who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Jump to verse 21. Although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and in their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man. Well, how are they doing that? God said in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the earth. You notice God didn't give man dominion in heaven. Today, you can find preachers and teachers prophesying, Let us make God in our image man according to our likeness. Let us have dominion in the earth, and many sadly add, let us have dominion in the heavens as well. If you listen for it, you will hear it. They've made a change. They changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image like corruptible man. If you listen, a lot of what they're saying really is a, it's new age. It's a new age message, but actually It's an ancient doctrine of devils that is creeping through the present church. It's a man-centered false gospel. But what do they say? You are God. Your words are like God's words. Speak, decree, and create your will. 
what do you want to be done on earth? Just decree it, and God is waiting for you to command him so he can do it. Or he may send his angel to do it. Well, the last time I checked in the Gospels, I'm pretty sure Jesus said, Father, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, not let man's will be done on earth. But let's keep in mind there's always some truth wrapped in doctrines of error. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14, we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. See, Peter's epistle, as well as James and Jude, have a lot more to say concerning false teachers. Well, back to Romans chapter 1, verse 23, they changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image see, made like man, or into the image of man. See, man is now the central message. Well, what's that? It's all about you. Now, we sing it's all about you, Jesus. If you listen, you'll hear very subtly that it's about us. It's about you. It's about me. Well, the gospel is relating to you and me, but it's a very subtle message. Well, who doesn't want to hear that message? It's all about me, or Jesus needs me. When we receive salvation and are born again, we're spiritual infants, we're babies, we have to grow and mature. But if we don't, then this type of message comes along. Many can easily be swept up not knowing the scriptures and carried away by this wind of doctrine, by the trickery of false teachers, and the cunning craftiness of those who are twisting the scriptures. Revelation chapter 2, verse 2, I know your works, your labor, your patience, your perseverance, and that you cannot bear or endure those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they're apostles and are not, and have found them liars. Many today believe that apostles are no longer in the church, that they ceased after the original twelve. I could understand why they would want to believe that, seeing the mess that's been created over the years in the charismatic and Pentecostal churches and others. I believe the church desperately needs authentic apostles. I don't see Jesus giving out these gifts in Ephesians chapter 4 to equip the saints for the ministry and then taking away the, a primary office of apostle, which he provided. We need them. We need apostles. You may say, well, why? because Jesus says we do. That's why he placed them in the church. However, people who presumptuously take the title of apostle are really, in a sense, the worst of the worst, promoting and exalting themselves. See, they say they're apostles, but those that were in this church Jesus is addressing in Revelation, they checked them out. They were listening, and they found them to be false. They said they were apostles, and they are not. Now, I want to say to those of you who may be in one of these churches, or to those of you who have been in one of these churches and left, the Lord is not blind. He's not asleep. He sees what's going on. He sees what these men are doing. He sees their works. But he's also watching what we are doing, what we're allowing men to do and get away with in his church, among his precious flock, the apple of his eye. What I'm saying in part is we have to take some responsibility. We have to study the scriptures. We have to be good Bereans and know the word, know the truth. The truth shall set you free. From what? From deception, from false teachers. May we no longer tolerate the control, manipulation, and emotional spiritual abuse 
that is pervasive in many of these churches. You know, they promote and exalt these false leaders, these false teachers, these false apostles. See, they're using the Lord's church to work out their own personal life goals and selfish ambition through preaching a man-centered message. And people are coming to that message by the car load, by the bus load. They're flocking to get in there. Why? It's crossless. It's a false gospel. There's very little conviction, if any, to turn people from their sinful lifestyles, cry out to God, repent. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 6, But whosoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him if a large millstone were hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Well, this is a scary scripture, but I believe Jesus meant what he said. So let us take this verse to heart. We need to discern and identify not only the false apostles, more importantly, the true, authentic, chosen by God apostles that are among us, among the church. I believe they're out there. If they weren't necessary and important, Jesus would have not placed them in the church. They are vital and necessary for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. But on the flip side, the false apostles will actually do the opposite. They will uproot the church. They will hinder the work of ministry of the saints, and they'll encourage people to become self-focused. Well, I don't want to be a downer on this message, but it's been on my heart, and I felt I needed to get it out there. So thank you for bearing with me. I hope this message was helpful to you today. If you would like to be notified of future podcasts, click the follow button. If you're on Google, click subscribe. This is a free podcast. We are a listener-supported ministry. If you would like to donate, click the PayPal link in the podcast. If you're on our website, click the heart button. To contact me, my email is apresentword at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. God bless you. Thank you.